You are listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at journeycc.net. Today's message is brought to you by Scott McFarland. We hope you enjoy. Hey, good morning. Did you cut that off before the funny part or did you get the, uh, never mind. Hey, glad to have you here. Glad to have you, those that are online with us today. We are continuing our series called Hinge Point talking about these amazing moments in Jesus' ministry that changed the trajectory of people's lives. And today we'll be in chapter 2 looking at a story. And I thought I'd start with a hinge point moment in Diana's and my relationship. I always like telling a story about Diana. She always tells me she doesn't get the mic to do it about me. But today I want to tell a little story about when we were dating 41 years ago as we started dating. She had a two-year-old daughter I ended up adopting later. Heather is our daughter's name. And at the time, she was two, three years old. I offered to Diana on a Saturday that I would watch Heather while she had to go to work. This was the first time that Diana entrusted to me her daughter to take care of. Big deal. So I had all these plans. I was going to take her to lunch at McDonald's, and then I was going to play with her outside, and then we were going to do some laundry at her house to help her mom, and a couple things for that afternoon. And so I get in my Gran Torino sport car with a jacked up back end, taking this little girl, Heather, to lunch at McDonald's. She was so excited. Happy meal! Woohoo! Come on. I know what to do with a kid, right? Happy meal is always the way to go. And so I'm taking her, and and this shows my youthfulness that I was very forgetful at the time, because I get halfway to McDonald's going up this little hill in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, and I realized before I had left that I forgot to fill the tank with gas. (laughs) Car stalls on the hill. I can't get it going. And I turned to Heather and said, okay, we got to walk to that. See that gas station? we got to walk to that gas station and get a little gas for the car so we can keep going. Okay, okay, Mr. Scott, okay. And so I take her by the hand. We're walking to the gas station. We get to the gas station. It's a gas can along with a few gallons of gas. I pull out my wallet. Second mistake. I only had $10 cash. And the cost of the gas tank with a few gallons of gas was going to be about $10. Great, put the gas in the gas can, walk back, fill it up, we get in the car. And I had to turn to Heather and say, Honey, I'm sorry, but I don't have the cash to take you for a happy meal. And she says, Oh, it's okay, Mr. Scott, it's okay. We'll go eat something at home. So that's exactly what we did. We went home and we had something to eat, and I put in some laundry for her mom, and we went out and played in the yard. It was a great day. I'm thinking, Good. Mom gets home, we're telling her about her day, she was having a great time, and then she says, yeah, and Mr. Scott ran out of gas and we didn't get to go to McDonald's. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so much for this dating relationship. To which her mother responded differently, well, I'm glad you had a good time, and I'm glad Mr. Scott took care of you. She re- Listen, she responded with peace instead of criticism. And that's what I want you to see today in the stories of Jesus in Capernaum in chapter 2 of the book of Mark. He responds to his critics with peace instead of mutual criticism. 
I'm going to read the stories to you. There's two of them. These are two different sermons we could have two different discussions about. But today I want to put them together so that you can look at the Pharisees and the criticisms of Jesus. Because I believe, this is my, this is my theory to you today, I believe the way we respond in our relationships does more to promote relationship or destroy it. And that's exactly what we're going to see in Mark chapter 2. Here, let me just read it to you. Here's how it's written by Mark. He says, a few days later, after some healings, after Jesus gets his ministry started, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, this town along the Sea of Galilee, the people heard that he had come home. He was back with Peter, back in the house, back with his buddies. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of his friends. Since they could not get him, this paralyzed man, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening. They climbed up on the roof, pushed away the thatch roof cover, and made an opening in the roof to drop their friend in above Jesus. And above Jesus, they dug through it and then lowered the man on the mat that was lying, he was lying on. When Jesus, get this, when Jesus saw the men, the four men's faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. What? Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, what? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Man got up, get this. Imagine what you would say, what you would think when you saw this happen. He got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of all of them, and this amazed everyone, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now you think that's an amazing story. We could talk all day about that. Look at the next story. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, right outside of Capernaum, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, or better, the name that you're familiar with, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew, Levi, get up, gets up and starts following him. Crazy. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him, and when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, here it is again, they asked his disciples, why does this man, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And again, Jesus, responding differently, says on hearing this, he said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners, and one version adds, to repentance. See, Jesus responds differently than most humans would. Now, let me just give you three very simple points about this. I can make this point very quickly today. 
Number one, notice in these two stories that the world loves to be critics of what people are doing. Come on. Have you noticed the news lately? Have you listened to talk radio? It's pretty obvious that we live in a country that's so blessed that all we need to do during our day is criticize everybody else who isn't. We spend our time finding what's wrong with everybody else so we don't have to face the mirror and look in at the mirror and see what we need to do to fix ourselves. We are good, come on, at criticizing people. I was reading a story about a guy by the name of William William Muir, he's a biologist, works for Purdue University. He studies chickens and their habitats to, to learn how they can help chickens be more productive. He said he did an experiment, lasted six years. He took one group of chickens that love to be in community, and he puts them in a community and just leaves them alone for six years. Feeds them, cares for them like any normal farmer would do. Then he takes another group of chickens, and again, they like to be in community. He takes and selects all of the best chickens from all these different lots of chickens and puts them in this group. He calls them the super chickens. Can you just imagine like a super chicken? Never mind. And he's assuming that if you get this group of high producing chickens together, they're going to make way more eggs than the regular average chickens. He says six years later, here's what happened. Six years later, he comes back and looks. The average chickens are healthy and plump and they've been producing eggs and they're doing great. They're just doing what they normally do, reproducing. The super chickens, there's only three left because they all were in such competition they pecked each other to death. Come on. Doesn't that sound like the Pharisees here? Spend more time pecking at people instead of trying to help and support them? Spend more time pecking at people instead of forgiving them and encourage them to change their lives. We are notorious as humans at being human peckers. Yeah, maybe that wasn't. Let me move on. We like criticizing and condemning and being skeptical of other people. Just like the Pharisees. And Jesus comes along and says, that's not how I'm going to respond to you. See, this is the hinge point. And if you're a disciple, if you're seeing this, if you're watching this, this is so different than any rabbi or Pharisee or leader in the church that you've ever seen. I can't even describe to you how shocking this must have been when they see a man forgiven who's obviously paralyzed on a mat when they see the tax collector that everybody shuns and everybody says we got to avoid him. In fact, we can't even touch him. We certainly can't eat with him. And we can't do anything with this guy because he's such a sinner and he's against the people of God. And yet Jesus entrusts something to each one of these. He, he entrusts, he puts trust in the four friends who brought their friend to Jesus. He entrusts forgiveness to a paralytic who, it doesn't appear, he didn't repent, he didn't show any remorse, he didn't, he didn't say he was going to you know, change his ways. He's just laying on a mat and God gives him forgiveness. And then he entrusts him with new health to go home and live differently. And he entrusts teaching, think about this, to the Pharisees too. 
in addition to the disciples? And he goes, he goes and calls Matthew to follow him, to associate and bring relationship to a person that everybody else has cut off. And if you go through the rest of the book of Mark, you'll see that Jesus constantly responds as a peacemaker, entrusting love and care and forgiveness and concern to everybody around him. See, here's the secret in a relationship. Listen, if you're married, this is really important. If if you have kids, parents, this is huge to teach them. If you're a young person, this is something you need to understand about people. If you want to build relationships, you have to stop being the critic and start trusting people. Will they fail? Absolutely. Will they break your trust? For sure. But the only way to build relationships is to put trust in them. And that's what Jesus does. He gives trust to grow relationships. He had every right to be critical and distrusting of people. And yet, he trusted us anyway. He could have been a skeptic against all of the sin of the world, but instead of being a skeptic, he comes to make peace between man and God. See, skepticism builds nothing. But peacemaking can build relationships. Which gets us to the outcome. Moving quickly. Look at God's power work when you offer people peace. When you offer God the chance to move in the relationship. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Matthew, (laughs) the guy he calls out of a tax booth, becomes the writer of a gospel that carries some of the greatest words Jesus ever said. The disciples found out that Jesus was the Messiah and go to their death to bring peace to the world. And you see in this story, a man who was crippled starts to walk again. Friends are honored. The town is changed because God is working in the midst of the situation. Don't miss the work of God around you. Listen, that person that you feel critical of right now could be the relationship God wants to use you to change their life. But you have to be the peacemaker not the critic. And that's the hinge point today I'm calling you to. Be a peacemaker and not a peace breaker. Instead of being a critic, make peace. Years ago when we started taking mission trips, I went to Honduras with the very first team. We partnered up with my home church, went down there. I met this guy by the name of Antonio. He had just started working a couple years down in a community they were just building up called Ocotilla. 
Antonio and I kind of struck it off, but it was a new thing, new experience for me, and I really didn't build a lot of relationship. But a couple years later, I started taking teams regularly to Honduras because I wanted every person at Journey to experience what it feels like to be on mission with Jesus. And a team went down there, and one of the, the leader of, of Lifeline, the one who started it, Bob DeVoe, turned to me while I'm down there with this team and said, listen, I'd like you to do me a favor, okay? I want you to teach some leadership principles to these new leaders that Antonio and the others are doing. And I, okay, I can try. I don't know what I can teach, but I'll try. And so the next trip, I go down there with a little bit of information. And they call the leaders together, Antonio and about, I don't know, eight, ten others. And we're around this circle. <laughs> and there's two older pastors, far more seasoned than me, who I could tell had no desire to listen to what I had to say. I don't know Spanish, but I didn't need to know Spanish that they, to know they were criticizing me. And I thought, well, this isn't going to work. What am I going to do? How am I going to be supportive of them? What can I teach a group of people, especially when there's two of them that are the senior leaders who don't want to hear anything or don't want to ask questions? Antonio speaks up, and I don't even know what he said. I could just tell the tone of the room changed because he was able to bring peace to the situation and then help all of them become better leaders to now where they've started a Bible college, planted 10 or 12 churches, grown the ministry in Tegucigalpa instead of San Pedro. And I've watched his ministry continue to flourish as he brings peace to the people of Honduras. And today being Lifeline Day, Antonio is here with the translator, his name is Joel, who was crucial, hired Antonio, got him into Honduras. They're here to be with us in worship today, and I want to invite them on stage to share a little bit. Can you, can you welcome them? Yeah, I just wanted, this is a great day for us to talk about missions. I've been featuring missions last week and this week, and this mission is dear and dear to my heart because it's the first group that we use to start doing mission trips with, and we want to see more and more of those opportunities, not only in Honduras, but in other places. So Antonio, welcome to Journey. It's nice to finally have you in my home instead of always going to yours. Uh, Antonio, tell us a little bit about the ministry now. You've been there for 20... 21 years? Okay, so you've changed and done a lot of things. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Honduras. Muy buenos días. Que Dios les bendiga a todos en Journey. Good morning. I bless each of you here at Journey. Mi nombre es Antonio Orellana y pues soy de Honduras y estoy casado con una muchacha muy guapa en México. My name is Antonio Orellana and uh, I'm from Honduras, but I'm married to a beautiful Mexican lady. Tenemos dos hijos varones. Uno de 23 años y uno de 21. We have two sons, uh, one is 23 and one is 21. Yep. Yeah. Eh, lo que hago para Lifeline, yo soy encargado de la parte evangelística, soy director de, del área evangelística en Lifeline en Honduras. I'm in charge of our, I'm the, our director of evangelism in Honduras. Yeah. Yep. Very good. And so you have been promoting peace and persons of peace for a long, long time. I learned a lot from you in that respect. Tell us a little bit about this church planting process. And one of the things we did when we were there just in July was help build chicken coops in this new place where they're going to plant a church to help them establish businesses 
to support the church that they're going to put there with all these people. Tell us a little bit about how you approach that. Este, acerca de el evangelismo y de buscar personas de paz. Uh, so about, um, about the way we do evangelize in a new community, yeah. uh, we use something called people of peace. Bueno, eh, he cometido bastantes errores en el principio acerca de cómo empezar una nueva iglesia. I made a lot of mistakes early in my in my my career uh, on trying to start churches in a way that maybe wasn't wasn't very successful or healthy. Eh, ahorita en este tiempo tenemos como 14 grupos diferentes en Honduras eh, que hemos planteado plantado iglesias pequeñas. So now we have uh, 14 different churches all together that we've been able to start in Honduras. Y la, la manera en cómo lo hacemos eh, viene de Lucas capítulo 10 y Mateo capítulo 10. The way that we usually started, it really comes from um, Luke 10 and Matthew 10. Eh, que Jesús este, manda a sus 12 discípulos en uno y a 70 discípulos en, en la otra escritura y les da ciertas instrucciones. In those passages, we see that Jesus sends out his uh, his disciples, and one of them he sends out twelve, and another one he sends out seventy, and uh, he gives them some specific instructions about how they should go into a new community to, to establish relationship there. Sí, y si ustedes leen los pasajes, eh, hay, hay ciertas cosas que, que sobresalen ahí. Eh, una de ellas es dice cuando ustedes vayan a una ciudad y también cuando vayan a una casa, una familia. Uh, one of the things that really sticks out to me as I read those passages is he he gives them this some specific instructions about what to do when they go to this new city or new community, but even when they go to a new home. Y, y, y dice Jesús, cuando ustedes vayan, digan la paz de, 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 esté sobre ustedes, o si hay alguien digno de paz, ustedes quédense ahí. And he tells them to to transmit their their peace to people that they visit when those people are are worthy of that or worthy of trust when those people receive them well. Y lo lo que nosotros creemos es que todo cristiano, todo hijo de Dios eh, tiene esa paz que ofrecer a otros. And we believe that people who are followers of Jesus we can leave our peace with others. A, a donde quiera que nosotros vayamos y donde quiera que entremos La paz de nosotros la compartimos. Wherever we go, wherever we visit, we can we can give give people a sense of peace as we visit with them and leave. Otra cosa que Jesús les dice a sus discípulos es que infórmense acerca de la comunidad de la casa a ver si son dignos. Uh, Jesus also gave them instructions in those passages to go and really to, to kind of educate themselves about the community to to learn if it was worthy of of investing their time and, yeah. and, and effort. Y bueno, esa es otra de las cosas que nosotros hacemos. Este, cuando vamos a una comunidad, eh, casi yo nunca voy solo. Siempre voy con, con un grupo que tenemos en la iglesia de evangelismo. And so that's what we do. Uh, I, I usually never go to a new community alone. We always go as a group of, of, of Christ followers together. Y cuando vamos a la comunidad nos dividimos de dos en dos. We divide up two and two and we go and visit many different places in the community. Y cuando estamos tocando puertas en las casas, es donde nos damos cuenta si esas personas son gente de paz o no. And when we knock on doors, we very quickly realize whether those people are people of peace or not, depending on the way they receive us. Generalmente nosotros no solo vamos por una vez. Llevamos la idea de ofrecer eh, un proceso primero de seis, seis lecciones para ver si esas personas las aceptan. Usually we don't just go one time. Usually what we do is try to go at least six times and we just, we offer some, some Bible studies with people. 
y en ese tiempo nos damos cuenta si esa gente realmente es gente de paz. And in that time we're able to perceive whether those are people of peace based on the way they receive us. La, la otra cosa que hacemos es que cuando termina la, el evento, la, la, el evangelismo, and the other thing that we do is after we do those initial visits, eh, nos reunimos todos los que andamos y comentamos acerca de cómo, cómo los recibieron, cuánta gente los recibieron y cómo se sintieron. All of us that went out kind of two by two, we get together and we just talk about our experience and we kind of evaluate how well we were received or, or not. Y, y la pregunta que siempre les hago es, ¿sientes paz? ¿Tú tienes paz o sientes paz de poder invertir aquí? And I always ask uh, those that have gone out to visit, do you, do you feel at peace about this? Do you think this is a place where we should invest our, our, our time, effort, and, and money? Uh, do you feel peace about what we're doing here? Porque lo que hacemos es que nosotros no estamos pensando en, en abrir una, una iglesia e invitar a la gente a a un lugar específico, sino más bien eh, creemos que la iglesia es nuestra comunidad o esa comunidad. Uh, because we're not thinking specifically about opening up a building where people come to us. We, we see the churches where people live. Yeah. Entonces necesitamos estar seguros si vale la pena invertir tiempo. So we need to be sure if this is a place that's, that's worthy of investing all of our effort and energy and, and treasure. Yep. Y dependiendo de las de las respuestas de todo el equipo de todo el grupo lo tomamos. And so depending on the the answers of everyone in the group that went and made those calls, that's how we kind of reach come close to reaching a decision like that. Yeah. Para no hacerse la larga, son tres filtros los que pasamos. Primero es si las personas a las casas que vamos son yeah. gente de paz o son gente digna. Yeah. So we have three filters. One is are there people of peace here? People that receive us well. El segundo es si el el equipo de evangelismo siente paz y se siente cómodo con The second filter is if if our um, if the people that have gone door to door and investing in people's time there if they feel peace about what we're doing. Y el tercero es acerca del liderazgo de la iglesia. And the third filter is what are what the leadership of the church that's going there to start this new one. What do they feel about it? Yeah. Si los ancianos y los líderes de la iglesia se sienten cómodos y y dan lo verde para invertir ahí. They're willing to invest in that, the, the, the church leaders. Then that's how we go forward and start a new church. Porque necesitamos mucho de la ayuda de ellos porque ellos van a ayudarnos con con el dinero y todo lo demás. Because we we need full support from yeah. the church leadership. They're very good. Esas son las tres maneras en cómo encontramos comunidades de paz y gente de paz. So that's how we find communities of peace and people of peace. That's amazing. Al principio cometimos muchos errores. Al principio yo tomaba la decisión depende cómo me me sentía. At the beginning I made a lot of mistakes and I just based it off of what I felt. Pero uh, al paso del tiempo he eh, pues tomado estos tres filtros para poder estar seguro de. With time I've learned to, to, to use these other filters and have these other people have a voice in, in making these decisions. Very good. I was reminding, I was listening to this in first service and remembered that when Diane and I came to check out communities in California to plant a church, there were three families that had been praying for a church to be planted in Tracy. And we met them and ended up having lunch with them, spent the afternoon, and instantly, persons of peace, we knew this was where God was calling us, just as he describes in the communities they planted churches. I wonder... I wonder if you knocked on the doors of us at our houses, whether you would feel peace from us or not. That would be curious. 
Antonio, you've been such a good friend for so many years. How can we support you going forward? What else can we be doing to help you and Lifeline there? Bueno, primero, muchas gracias por todo el tiempo de amistad y de compañerismo que hemos tenido. First, just thank you for all of the years of support and partnership and, and just friendship that we've had. Scott was a mentor to many of us through many years. Thank you, Mermaid. Thank you. I think I learned more from you, actually. Second, I just ask for prayers for, for, for me, for my, my family, for my children. For el equipo de liderazgo en Honduras, for the leadership team that we have in Honduras, los pastores, los administradores y todo el equipo. The pastors, the, the ministry administrators that we have there, our whole team. Y tercero, pues, con, continúe siendo parte de, de nuestro equipo, eh, de nuestro compañerismo con los viajes misioneros y todas las otras cosas que hacemos a través de Life. And third, if you would just continue to, you could support us continuing by continuing your partnership with us, continuing to send out folks from your, your church to, to visit us, to minister alongside of us there, continuing to participate in the different areas of ministry that Lifeline uh, has done with you in the past. All right. Y el próximo año tenemos la oportunidad de ir a construir más chicken cups. <laughs> Next year, uh, we hope to have some, some of you all come yep. to Honduras, and yep. we have some more chicken coops that we want to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had, yeah, go ahead, give them a hand for that. When we finished constructing the chicken coop the day before we came back, we had it all in there and all these guys were finishing up the work. And, and so his wife, who is an outstanding cook, made chicken soup. So we moved all the tables inside the coop so we could have chicken soup in the chicken coop. It was so much fun. And Tony has been a great friend, and, and uh, I want to encourage you. We have three mission trips planned for next year, and we have sign-ups for information out on the patio today. One's going to be our first trip ever to Romania to help Haleywood get ready for Easter. We're going to take a small team to pilot that trip. And then two trips next July, a week long each, to Honduras to help do more work in Tagus with Antonio. I'd love to take 10 or 12 of you in each of those trips to do some amazing things in Honduras with Antonio and his family and all the leaders there. Let's do this together as we close. I'll make this my closing prayer. Why don't you extend a hand as we always do to pass our spirit of peace on to Antonio and all the people at Lifeline. God, thank you so much for your love for us, for your work of mission that you did in bringing peace to us. And today, we want to be more peacemakers instead of critics. We want to be people that bring peace to the world just as you did to us. Go with Antonio, with his team, with family and friends and all of the leaders in our, our leaders down in Honduras that are our partners and bless them. Be with Joel and all of the team at Lifeline that does this in lots of countries and bless their ministry to use them in powerful ways to bring the gospel to the world. I pray that you'll pour a special uh, blessing on Antonio and Maya and all of their family, using them in amazing ways in the years ahead to continue to grow the church and the gospel there. And thank you for our friendship and our partnership. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. If you would like to support us as we pursue God and love people one at a time, please consider a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeycc.net slash giving.